Hi, I'm Dr. Avanti Kumar Singh. In over 20 years of practicing both Western medicine and Eastern healing traditions, the most important thing that I've learned is that healing is a journey we take together. So on this podcast, I'll be demystifying Ayurveda and other integrated medicine, showing how these simple ancient practices are the keys to unlocking a healthy modern life. We are all healing catalysts because healing starts within. It starts with you and it starts right now. This is a Soulfire production. Episode number 65. Well, hello, my beautiful community of the Healing Catalyst podcast. It's so great to be back with you for another episode. As we continue this month's intention for the month of October, connection to self as medicine. As I mentioned last week, we're heading into a really busy time of the year, the end of the year with all the holidays and celebrations and parties in which connection to others is the focus. But I believe that connection to others first starts with connection to self. Now, last week, we looked at connection to self through spirituality, and this week, we'll be exploring using nature to connect to self with my guest, Mika Mortali. Mika is the director of the Kripalu School, one of the largest centers for yoga-based education in the world. As an avid outdoorsman, mindful wilderness guide, yoga teacher, and meditation teacher, Mika has been leading groups in wilderness and retreat settings for over 20 years. In 2018, he founded the Kripalu School of Mindful Outdoor Leadership. His passion is helping people come home to themselves and the earth. And he's currently getting a master's degree in nature awareness and mindfulness practices. Mika is also the author of the book, Rewilding Meditations, Practices, and Skills for Awakening in Nature, which brings together yoga, mindfulness, wilderness training, and ancestral skills to create a unique guide for reigniting your primal energy energy, your undomesticated true self, and deepening your connection with the living earth. In our conversation, we dive into Mika's discovery of the power of nature, his work in wilderness therapy, and his journey to helping people heal with nature. We also discuss how the global pandemic has really shifted our connection to nature, this idea of rewilding that he wrote his book about, and how connection to nature helps with connection to self. Mika also shares what he calls a daily nature habit to help us come home to ourselves through nature. I'm so honored to share with you my beautiful conversation with Mika Mortali about connection to self through nature. So incredibly wonderful to meet you, Mika. Thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thank you for having me on. It's great to be here. Absolutely. Absolutely. I have been reading all morning about you actually for a few weeks since I got introduced to you and your work, but just trying to get a sense of your work. And, you know, I was really fascinated about your background in wilderness adventure. You're a wilderness guide and the founder of the Kripalu School for Mindful Outdoor Leadership, which is a wonderful title. But let's start with sort of your story. You know, how did you discover the power of nature? Take us back to sort of your earliest memories discovering nature, because I find that so much of our personal stories informs what we end up doing professionally in the health and wellness space. So I'd love to hear whatever you'd like to share. Sure. I think nature was always kind of there for me. I guess some of my first and earliest memories were of we, we lived in a house when I was a baby, and I can remember looking up at the ceiling and seeing the light reflecting off of the surface of the lake, casting light shadows on the ceiling. And, and I just remember, like, I think I was in diapers, but I can remember like seeing that and being fascinated. And when I was small, when I was little, um, we lived in, my parents and I lived in the middle of the woods uh, when I was, you know, probably four, five, six years old. Uh, and so there was a period there where there, we didn't have any electricity. We kind of lived off the grid, heated with wood, had kerosene lanterns. And um, yeah, so I think while other kids were probably, you know, playing Atari and watching the A-Team, you know, I was kind of looking at a candle, <laughs> you know, getting dirty and running around in the woods. And uh, I mean, I, I caught up and, and came to appreciate the A-Team and Atari later. But <laughs> of course. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so in... When um, my parents got divorced when I was six, and it was kind of like from that point forward, um, you know, my childhood really changed. And 
Uh, I think when I was struggling, at, you know, even as an elementary school, middle school child, I just was going outside into the forest and sitting by the river, climbing trees, making fires, um, shooting bow and arrow. Out being outdoors was how I took care of myself. Mm. And it wasn't until many years later that I, as I reflected on, you know, why I was feeling drawn to open the school and what the connection for me was, how I always had this connection between God, great spirit, and the mystery of life and nature. Those two things always were together for me. Um, it didn't hit me until many years later that on some intuitive level, I had just been, you know, going out and being with the trees. Um, and that, and it was so helpful. I mean, it was, it saved me, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, that kind of led me to, uh, in my early twenties to becoming a therapeutic wilderness guide. I worked with at-risk youth for three years down in the Smoky mountains. And, um, that was a pretty rugged and challenging job. Uh, not so much the being outside, but the having to hold space and try to figure out how to support these young adults who were really hurting. And so it was, it was while I was down there that I discovered Kripalu yoga and, um, and then the yoga and on the mat yoga practice really was the other piece for me of my healing and my own journey of self-discovery. Um, and so a few years later, I made my way up here to the Berkshires and um, have been here for about 17 years um, at Kripalu. Wow. No. So, you know, I really want to dig into something. So I have some personal experience with wilderness therapy with some young people in my life who have gone through that process. And, you know, your description of your childhood and how you went to nature intuitively for this sort of healing aspect of nature, right? To connect with nature and how it, quote, what you said, saved you, right? And that has been my experience through the young people who have gone through wilderness therapy, as you were talking about. Tell us a little bit more about that, because I don't know that a lot of people understand what that is, or they may have negative connotations or negative impressions of what wilderness therapy is, you know, just being thrown out into the middle of the wilderness and having to, you know, make your own fire, but that's not really the point of it. So let's talk about that a little. I think it'd be really interesting. So nature therapy, wilderness therapy, um, you know, it's going to depend a lot on the, the company or the organization that's, that's delivering it, the population. So there's so much, there's a huge spectrum of what you might find in that space of wilderness therapy. You know, there's always, the, there's the old saying, like you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink, right? And so there are some circumstances where you might open the space for folks, but they may not be ready and they may not want, you know, what is being offered. And I think I, uh, that's what I found with, with some folks when I was in wilderness therapy. In some cases, the trauma, the pain, the brokenness is so deep that, what I found with a lot of the kids that I worked with was it was hard to determine sometimes if it was impacting them. Uh, and that was just the reality of it. It was, it was just, there were, there was so much pain and there was so much brokenness. And uh, when you have, when you have 10 young people in a group and you know, they're playing off of one another, uh, th things can go in many different ways, <laughs> you know? So it was, that was definitely the most difficult job I've ever had. And on, a, on an emotional level, on a spiritual level, on a physical level, because holding space for other people's healing is, you know, profound work. And it is, uh, it calls on every, at least for me, it called on every fiber of my being to try to figure out how to do that. And, and, and at the same time, hold space for myself and try to um, make sure that I was bringing my best self to each moment. So it was, it's very trying in the way that like maybe being a first time parent and having a, a, you know, an infant who's up all night, like those kind of experiences. So uh, I had a whole variety of experiences there. Um, but it did get me thinking about, you know, what are the, because there were children who were positively and powerfully impacted as well. And it did get me thinking the years after I had left, uh, as I was integrating that experience, like, you know, what are the triggers? What are the levers? Like what's happening? when we go out into the forest or when we go out to the beach or when we're outside in, in, in nature, what are the mechanisms that are helping us to heal or that are awakening our potential inside of us, um, that are unlocking our potential as human beings? 
And it was those questions that I was really grappling with. Um, and I was looking for the connection between what I was reading in the sacred texts, you know, the Upanishads, the Bhagavad Gita, the Essene Gospels, uh, you know, uh, indigenous Native American uh, oral traditions, like uh, Buddhist writings, like nature really was this unifying aspect of these different traditions. And when I, when I was an undergrad, I studied religion when I, when I was in college. And, and that was what I was looking for at that point was what's the thing that connects all these wisdom traditions. It, and as I look back, it was like, I was really looking for that one thing that would unite them all. And, and then it was years and years of realizing that most of the traditions, I haven't found anywhere this isn't the case yet. Uh, the founders or the people who wrote these texts or had these awakening experiences, um, you know, they were, they were deeply contemplative people and very much on the edges of the more than human world. The powers of nature were really informing their own awakening. You know, like even the Buddha sort of awakened sitting underneath the Bodhi tree. So that was a big piece. Um, and today here we are, you know, it's like, the average American spends 11 hours a day on a screen, more than 90% of their lives indoors, you know, and right. we're sort of wondering, we have so much, so many of us, like I think the standard of living still, if we compare our lives to folks living in the 17, 1800s, we have Netflix on our phones, you know, you've got, most people have enough to eat, to survive, we've got shelter. We have, so many of us have so much, and yet so many people feel so impoverished in their soul. And how is this, you know, and, and I think a big part of it is we've lost our, our connection in the cosmos and in the natural world. Right. And so what I'm hearing that you're saying is that, you know, going back to the idea of wilderness therapy for young people and nature as a therapeutic modality or medicine almost is that it's really this tapping into this spiritual piece that is really perhaps the connection there. And that because you're talking about the contemplation that happens in many of the world religions and traditions where so much of that happens in connection to or within nature itself, right? And so that's a really beautiful way of thinking about it. I think that that's been my experience with the young people in my life who have gone through any kind of nature therapy, wilderness therapy, is that there is this understanding that it's more than just you, that you have a connection to something so much greater than just you and your physical mind, body, spirit, right? That there is this connection to this whole world. And it's even a connection beyond connection to other human beings, but to connection to everything in the universe. And I think that perhaps from my perspective anyway, and my experience is that the people who really benefit from nature therapy, wilderness therapy, have an awakening to that understanding, right? That there's a connection to so much more that takes them outside of themselves that maybe is contributing to that pain. Yeah, absolutely. I agree hundred um, percent. You know, there's a perspective we get when we're looking up at the stars or the moon, mm -hmm. right? Or when we're sitting in the forest and we're watching the you know, the salamanders crawling around under the mushrooms, like all of a sudden there's this larger reality that we find ourselves in. And that's so important. Um, you know, one of my, I don't know, you've probably read uh, or heard about Dr. Robin Wall Kimmerer. She's got this wonderful book, Braiding Sweetgrass. And, you know, one of the topics that she discusses in there is something she calls species loneliness, which she calls a deep unnamed sadness, which stems from a loss of our relationship with all of these other beings that we've known throughout our ancestral history. You know, the trees, the insects, the salamanders, the fish, the birds, the clouds, the sky, the stars. And when we find ourselves in boxes, you know, living in boxes um, and really just seeing the world through screens or through technology, is that part of what's happening? You know, that, that we're longing for these relationships that, that were, you know, so much a part of us. Um, mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's something in the kind of the idea of rewilding I remember George Monboy talking about in his book, uh, Feral, where he talks about how in, uh, in the UK, there were all of these reports of people seeing large cats, like jaguars, you know, like mountain lions. 
And so he talks about how the government spent all this time and money trying to find these giant cats that everybody was seeing. And after years of looking, they, they, they came to the conclusion that they're just not there. They couldn't find them. And so then the question became, well, what's going on here? Why are these people seeing these animals that aren't there? And the, the hypothesis is, is that people need to see those cats. That life doesn't make sense without these giant animals that predated us forever. You know, we feel this like ghost need. It's like a, it's like a phantom limb. It's like, and it, I see that here in the Berkshires, you know, at Kripalu where I work, uh, you know, we get folks who are coming from more urban areas often. And when they see the sign on the wall that says, you know, just call, be aware that there are black bears on the property, people light up. You know, they are totally fascinated by the presence of these predators on the landscape. There's just something innate in us where we need to know that these creatures are out there. It just makes us feel alive, you know, and uh, they're a part of us. We're related to them. Uh, and so this kind of gets like, you know, the, the, the nature therapy piece is like that aliveness Right. Like when we get when we're outside and you're in the rain and you get wet and you get cold or the snows on your face or you're out there and you look over and you see a black bear and you get that surge of adrenaline and you feel alive. And uh, in my book, I talk about this uh, life force deficit. Right? We talk about nature deficit. But what about like when we're nature deprived, we're also life force deprived. Like, Yes. Let's talk about that. Because that's actually that was going to be my next question is that, you know, what is nature? I know what it is. You know what it is from a Vedic definition from from these sacred texts that we're talking about, the Upanishads, the, the Bhagavad Gita, you know, the Vedic texts. But I mean, we can talk about it from that perspective. But let's talk about what what exactly is nature? So <laughs> it's a great question. You know, it's funny because in, in, in modern life, nature is out there. Right. We talk about nature like people think, well, you know, nature is I'm in my house, I'm in my apartment. I'm in the city. Nature isn't here. Right. Nature is in a park somewhere in a forest. And therefore, I don't have access to it. I can't relate to it. It's over there. So we have we've created this dichotomy. Um, where nature is other. And, you know, what I, what I like to ponder is that that's a false dichotomy. You, I, we are, we are manifestations of the earth. Like we are, we are a self-aware manifestation of the living earth, you and I and everyone listening, right? Our senses, our eyes, our nose, our, everything about us, our body, we are you know, we are the self-reflective animal species that is here mysteriously on this planet, you know, and I think it's helpful to begin to think about it in those terms and the big and. So that's true. And when you take a being like us, which evolved, emerged out of the living earth, right? we emerged from this planet. If you take us and you remove us from the habitats that we emerged out of, because we did not emerge out of computers, right? We did not emerge out of offices or square rooms under fluorescent lights. Like these are not the conditions that we emerged out of, right? We emerged out of swamps and forests and fields. You know, we emerged listening to the sounds of the birds and the waters and we emerged gazing into fires every night before we fell asleep and uh, looking up and seeing thunder and lightning. And like, these are the conditions that we emerged from, right? So we are nature, but we are nature that has been removed from itself. Ooh, okay. Got to think about that. Mic drop. Say that again. We are a nature that's been removed from itself. Right. We've been severed from ourselves. Hmm. Right. If we're spending 90% of our lives in these artificial environments um, and 11 hours a day gazing at a flat surface um, a foot in front of our face, like, you know, that's not where we come from. Right. Right. It's very foreign to our nervous system. Right. So that's bringing up for me the Ayurvedic principle, right? That the basic tenant or the, the 
essence of Ayurveda, which is that when we live in harmony with nature, we will have optimal health and a vibrant life because we are made of the same five elements that everything in nature in the universe is made of, right? Space, air, fire, water, earth. And so it's exactly what you're saying that we are nature and that we have been removed from where we came from or what we are almost. It's a beautiful way of thinking about it. That seems to be our situation right now. And, uh, you know, I think it's helped, you know, sometimes I'll tell a story to illustrate like what I mean by rewilding. And, you know, so you might imagine that like you are a, uh, a female lion, you know, living on the plains of Southern Africa. You're a part of your pride. And every day you're out hunting on the land. You're bringing back, you know, fresh wild food to your community um, you're caring for your young, you're sleeping out under the stars, you're drinking the living waters out of the, you know, out of the land itself. Um, and you're part of your community. And, um, you know, let's say we were to take one of those lioness and we were to rescue her from that situation. And we relocated her and got her like a really spacious penthouse apartment somewhere in, in Brooklyn. And we got her a treadmill and a Zoom account so she could keep in touch with the tribe. And we had a, you know, an organic delivery service, just fresh zebra, you know, right to the door and um, got her like really high quality healthcare. Um, and uh, maybe um, you get the idea. Yeah. Right? And we were to check in on that lioness in a year or two. You know, how would she be doing? You know, would she be happy? Would she be healthy? Mm-hmm. It, we're the same, you know, we're no different. Right. And so let's go back to that idea of life force energy. I interrupted you. I didn't mean to. Uh, let's, let's continue with that because I think that's such a central concept in Ayurveda, in these healing sciences from the East. So let's, let's dive into that a little bit. Sure. Well, you know, life for Prana is uh, more than just a clothing company. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, you know, it's a life, for, life force energy is the idea and my understanding of prana is it's a, it's a combination of both consciousness and energy. So it's, it's conscious energy. You know, when, when we look at the, when we look at nature, it's, it's generative. You know, nature is generative, right? Like you look at an acorn, you put that acorn in the ground, it's going to become an oak tree, right? If you cut down a forest and just let, and then let it be, you know, it's going to reestablish itself. Um, there is a will to live, um, in, in the, that is present in us, you know, there's a resistance to inertia. There's this force that, uh, it pervades everything, um, that we see and it's part of us. And, you know, in the, uh, in, in the yoga tradition that I've, you know, practiced over the years, I mean, I've, I've practiced different lineages and traditions, but, you know, one of the major elements is, this awakening, this stimulation of, of life energy through, through breath, through movement, through, through uh, diet and lifestyle. And the idea is we want to, um, we want to be brimming with life. You know, we want to be right on the cusp of like how much life can, can we hold, you know, like how can we permeate our, ourselves with, with the experience of being fully alive. Right. And so your point about the, you know, prana and nature being regenerative, the main sources of prana are what we find in nature, the sun, the earth, the wind, right? Those are our main sources of prana coming from what we see as nature. And so when we are in nature, back to ourselves, right, we are replenishing that life force energy, that prana within us, which then leads to health, wellness. Right. So it's, it's all very connected in this beautiful way, but can also be very difficult to understand. I think it's so simple in many ways, but so complex also. It's, it's very much a contradiction. <laughs> well, yeah. And we get a lot of mixed messages too yes. about it in modern life. You know, your point about the sun, you know, like vitamin D deficiency correlates with every every health issue that is present in modern life. And yet we're told continuously like to never, like we get so many messages, don't go out in the sun, like avoid the sun. Everybody goes outside and covers up and covers their skin. And, and, and yet, you know, without vitamin D, without sun exposure, right. It's like, 
we're really putting ourselves at risk. Um, and there's so many things like that where, you know, what we know about, about health, um, modern life kind of makes it hard. Right. And gives us those mixed messages. Yeah. Just for so many people, it's almost impossible to access, you know, fresh, vibrant living food. Um, that's a major issue right now with modern life and, uh, you know, sun, clean water. Um, you know, it's, it's, these things are so important, you know, and yet uh, sometimes they're, they be, can be very difficult to source sometimes, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I absolutely agree. So let's turn to, you know, your work and this term rewilding. How do you define rewilding? What does it really mean? Why is it important? Talk to us a little bit about that. Rewilding is a word that has a humongous spectrum of things that can fall under it. You know, everything from allowing portions of the ocean, you know, to, to rest from fishing like that. That's the, you know, that's one of those things that rewilding can refer to. Um, it can refer to kind of humans stepping back or allowing ecosystems to, to recover in a way. Um, but it can also mean humans getting involved to help an ecosystem recover. And a good example would be um, when the wolves were reintroduced to Yellowstone. Right. So that wasn't humans just stepping away. That was humans saying, hey, like we removed this keystone species from this ecosystem. Let's reintroduce them and see what happens. And, and that had a profoundly positive effect on the environment when the wolves came back. That refers to rewilding of an ecosystem. Uh, the rewilding of human life itself is another aspect of rewilding. And, and that's when we start to think about ourselves as uh, as an animal species. And we might look at the way that we've become domesticated. So the way that modern life has really altered us as a species. So in other words, we might think about our ancestors who were hunter-gatherers, you know, who were able to procure their own nourishment from the landscape and what that meant for them you know, how much they walked and moved every day, all of the different types of movement that they had to do to be climbing trees and bending over and picking and going from here and going to there and, and the, all of the flora and the fauna that they had to know uh, and the wild foods that they were eating and the effect on their microbiome, uh, the ways that they were in contact with all of the seasons um, and how that impacted them. And then you imagine modern life and how, you know, sitting, maybe sitting at a desk or being on a computer for 11 hours a day, uh, spending most of our time indoors, um, not eating fresh wild foods, but, you know, eating packaged or processed foods. And we start to look at maybe, um, we might look at an ant like a dog or a cat, you know, that we would call domesticated. And we might see some similarities actually between how we now live and how a domesticated animal is now living compared to an, maybe an animal that's in the forest. Like last week we had a bobcat come into our backyard, right? And I was able to see this wild cat. We have a, a five and a half foot fence in our backyard and to see this bobcat just leap over this fence <laughs> into the backyard and to see how strong and wild and awake and alert this cat was. And maybe compare that to maybe a, a house cat, you know, um, and how that cat looks and moves and is. So rewilding, I see it just as like an invitation to beginning to remember and reconnect with ancestral ways of being and knowing. So it doesn't have to mean that, uh, that we go off the grid and are completely self-sufficient, right? It, it might just simply be something like starting to go hiking, you know, just walking in the woods uh, again. It might mean getting a little garden going on your fire escape or in your backyard. You know, it might mean learning about, you know, some wild things that grow in, in the, on the land around you. I think... Rewilding can be an intimidating word for some folks because it might feel like unattainable, but it's actually like, it should feel like a gentle invitation. One like little thing for me, part of my rewilding journey was like, I remember that, um, you know, my Italian ancestors were mushroom hunters. And I can remember my dad telling me about how, how his grandfather used to go and pick morels in the springtime. 
And, and so for me, that was like one way that I could connect with my ancestor, ancestors and a seasonal tradition that I started to get into and now do with my kids. is just, you know, walking in the woods and looking for morels. Um, so there's just, there's infinite numbers of ways that we can begin to rewild our lives. Yeah. And so, you know, what this is bringing up for me is a couple of different things is that it connects us to our history as humans uh, in general, right? But also very personally in our own families, our own ancestral lineage, right? So that's one thing that I think is really beautiful. But the other thing that it's really bringing up for me is sort of, you know, what we've all been through with this pandemic in the past few years. And how have you seen that perhaps the pandemic has changed our connection to nature in this way of this, this invitation of rewilding. Cause that's what it's bringing up for me is that it almost created a, an invitation to do that. Yeah. So much. So what I noticed during the pandemic was it was very extreme in either direction. Mm. So for a lot of people, you know, folks who got laid off maybe, or people who just all of a sudden had all this time, and the only place that, you know, felt safe for some folks was like outside in the fresh air. So the trails, you know, the hiking trails were just flooded with people and, and you, you couldn't find a bicycle or a kayak or a stand-up right. paddleboard. Like, <laughs> they were just sold out. You know, everybody was going out. And uh, I think, yes, part of it was like, number one, people had time again. Yes. Right. And they had time and everything was very... Um, there was, it was, it could be frightening time. It was a very uncertain time. And, and I think instinctively, many people just found themselves going to where they felt healed, where they felt connected. They went outside. Right. And then the other extreme was a lot of people all of a sudden found themselves chained to their laptops. Yeah. And maybe in the city and just kind of isolated in their apartments. And in very small spaces. So I think for some people, it was, they didn't get that experience. They, they kind of had to go through like a, a very isolating, very difficult time of being even more tethered to technology. Uh, so that was also going on at the same time. Um, so yeah, the, the, the pandemic created this really un- interesting and unusual moment. Yeah. Like you said, a gentle invitation to many people, but also sort of a, you know, knock to the head of like, okay, this is really what you need, you know, that this is really what you can do. So yes, it was a very interesting time. And I I do agree that there were those two extremes. And so, you know, what that's also bringing up for me is that, and we've already touched on this a little bit, is the connection between spirituality and nature. You know, you talked about your own experience with this and sort of the experience in many of the spiritual traditions of this. But what do you think that is, you know, the connection between, because I feel like even during the pandemic, nature provided some of that as well, a, a, an ability to connect with something greater than, than the self. Yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's a good question. I feel like uh, hesitant to even try to answer it because it, it's, it's such a profound and age old question. So mm-hmm. I guess my, my little slice of it is, you know, I, I think, I guess what I've come to is that when we talk about, um, think about great spirit, source energy, whatever you want to call that, that great mystery, you know, that, that is present. The source to me is to be found in nature. You know, that is where it, you know, when, when I look at, when I go, when I'm outside, when I'm with trees, anytime I'm, I'm outside, you know, and I look at a forest or a, a meadow or the ocean, what I'm seeing is unfiltered through human consciousness. You know, nature is not filtered through the human mind. When you're in a city, a town, when you're in a human built environment, everything that you're seeing has been processed through human consciousness the buildings, the streets, the media, the content, right? It's, it's a reflection of human consciousness. When you're in a forest, that's not the case, right? When you're outside by a river, what you're seeing is something other than the human-built world. 
And to me, that is the source energy, right? And, and it's, it's like another kind of a language. It's another kind of a consciousness. It's where we come from. You know, when we place ourselves in those environments, I believe that those environments are like keys. And when we interact with them, they unlock within us a different potentiality. Yes. Yes. And so that, that's a really interesting way of saying it, that, you know, what you see when you see in nature is unfiltered that it's not filtered through the human experience in this lifetime, sort of that human experience of what a city looks like, what a building looks like, you know, nature is nature. It just is, right? It's a really profound way of thinking about that. That is almost as if you are seeing this force energy materialized. Yes. And when I was in grad school and working on the Krauss School for Mindful Outdoor Leadership, and I was writing, rewilding, like I came upon the writing of David Abrams. And uh, he has a book called Spell of the Sensuous. He wrote something in that book that really changed my view on things. Um, he talked, he spent time with shaman and he talked about how shaman often will live on the edges of society. Like the village is in the forest. Let's say the shaman will live on the edge of the forest. And the shaman's role was to make sure that the relationship between the human world and the more than human world like, was kept in right relationship. And he talked about how anthropologists, Western anthropologists, when they would hear shamans speaking about the spirits of the forest, that they, they heard those words through a Western mindset. And when they heard spirit of the forest, they took that to mean spirit in the way that we think about spirit in the West, which is this disembodied ethereal something like angels or ghosts, right? When the shaman were speaking about the spirits of the forest, they were speaking about the trees themselves, the wildcats themselves. Right? When they're talking about the, the deer spirits, it was actually the deer, right? It's a totally different way of relating to reality. Yes. Right. Because there's an understanding that the human form or the animal form or the plant form is just a container for the spirit, for the soul of that being. That's how I'm interpreting what you're saying. Yeah. Yes. That. And also perhaps, you know, what if, you know, what if we let go of that idea also of there needing to be something, something other that we are spirits, we are embodied spirits. You know, it's like, well, this is it. You know, what if, you know, what if th this is it? And, you know, growing up and it's just been a part of my experience. And that's not to say that there isn't also so much that's also outside of the spectrum of our, of our embodied awareness, right? Yes. For me, like when I, when I heard that um, and, and I would sit out on the land in some way that's almost hard to, hard to describe in words, it shifted something. Yeah. And so I feel like that is so much of what you're referring to is that this idea that we will refer to each other as, you know, there's Micah, here's Avanti, there's an, a, a cat, a, a deer, a tree, right? But what we're really speaking about is the spirit that's within that container, right? And that's maybe what you're getting at, right? Is this connection to nature is actually a connection to spirit, our spirit connecting to another spirit, because we all come from the same source. Yeah. Yeah. It's really beautiful and powerful stuff, you know, and uh, it's, you know, what I love about it too is, um, you know, everybody has their own experience. Yes. You know, and like when we, when we guide people out in our training and, you know, we do like a, we do a sit spot every morning where folks, you know, before breakfast, they're out in the woods sitting and just eyes open, just being still and observing the start of the day for 40 minutes, you know, and mm -hmm. everybody has their own experience and I love it. You know, it's, um, it's one of the things I loved about yoga too. It was like, okay, here's this, here's a frame. You know, here's some concepts, here's some practices, you know, go try them. Notice what happens for you. And, and that's, that's what I love about, you know, the mindful nature connection practices. It's um, each person is free to have their own experience. Um, and 
what happens out there is that everybody gets what they need. One person will sit outside and look at a decomposing tree and they'll be, you know, that will help them integrate something within their life experience that is, is exactly what they need in that moment. And somebody else will sit out there and they'll see that tree, but they'll actually be looking at, you know, another aspect of that tree. And then they'll get something else that is relevant for them in that moment. And that's kind of the way that we sort of plug into that source energy and it catalyzes a healing process um, that's customized for each person in a way. Yeah. And so you actually answered the question I was going to ask you next before I asked you the question, which was, you know, from your perspective, how does this connection with nature help with connection to self? And I think what you just said is that we all get something different when we connect to nature. We get what we need because it's a it's something that we in ourselves need for our healing process, right? And so that's perhaps that connection to self. It's almost like we're tapping into this deep knowing within us of what we need for our healing, for our own healing journey. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's a real simplicity to it uh, in, in some ways. It requires us to let go a little bit, just settle into the process. It's an organic process. Yes. You know, yes. another aspect of important thing, I think, in rewilding is uh, our relationship to time. Mm-hmm. In our modern lives, uh, we live in our out of our Outlook calendar, you know, our Google calendar or um, out of, you know, our schedule for the day and our time is so structured and scheduled and it, it lends itself to a, a very uh, a tight experience of time where time can feel very like a, a commodity that's in short supply. You know, when we allow ourselves to just go out and do a sit spot, for instance, or just sit for a half an hour and, and just be, just observe the morning start, you know, that's very important for many people right now. Like, I think that there's, I've been feeling lately, like there's a powerful call for that. Um, that gives us that opportunity to feel the abundance of nature and of time um, that feels like a scarcity, you know, right now. Um, and uh, that, that's a big shift because time feels scarce uh, often for so many of us. And I, I'll just, I can remember one time I was guiding some sit spots here and it was in uh, early October and I had a group of folks who had come for a retreat and I sent them out for about a half an hour just to sit and watch. And I can remember a woman came back and when we shared about the sit spot, you know, she was weeping and she said it had been like 30 years since she had sat and watched the leaves of autumn fall. Mm. And it just took her back to her childhood. And, um, and it was, it was a little bit of a bittersweet moment because there was this feeling of like, what have I been doing? Mm-hmm. I've been, this is so beautiful to sit and watch a leaf fall. And, uh, you know, what have I been doing with my time? <laughs> you know? And, uh, you know, so there's so much beauty, right? Like there's, we, there's so much fullness here on this earth and it's so easy to miss it, yes. you know, with our busy lives. And I think part of what rewilding offers us is this feeling of joy, this feeling of beauty, this full heartedness of, of, of receiving creation. Like here we are, everything's a miracle. No one knows how we got here. I don't care what anybody says. <laughs> here we are, right? It's just incredible. Yeah. And so getting into this idea of time, you know, there's so many of us that feel so bound by our calendars, right? And all these to-do lists and task lists. And, you know, how do we create a daily practice of connecting with nature? You know, a daily nature habit, will you? You know, sort of what are some things that we can do? Because I think what you're saying is so important because this is so important for our overall health and well-being not just because it's about connecting with nature, but it's about connecting with ourselves and reawakening that healing power within. You know, that is the basis of my work is helping people rediscover their 
own innate healing power through the science of Ayurveda, right? And so I think what you're getting at is that it's, it's so important to connect with nature because of the connection with self. So how do we do that? What are some of your practices or things that you do with people that, that could help some of us, you know, especially those of us living in a, in a, urban environment where perhaps what we think of, and maybe this goes back to what we were talking about before, is this sort of belief that nature is other, <laughs> that it has to be somewhere outside of us. I don't know. It's a lot of different questions I think I'm asking. Yeah, you. yeah. No, it's great. Um, so, you know, how do we, how do we start establishing nature connection practice, a self connection practice through nature? Um, so there's some really simple ways. Um, if you're in an urban environment, and uh, you have a window where you can see some sky. Um, I always encourage folks to, you know, do a sit spot by the window. You know, just, just sit by the window when you're having your morning coffee or tea and just put your gaze into the sky, right? Like you're gazing into infinity, right? When you look into the sky. Um, some people call it sky swimming, but you just drop into like fascination attention. You just let your attention move to whatever is moving, whatever's fascinating. Maybe you're just looking at the clouds go by and, and just do that. Um, if you are in an urban area and you don't have, you know, um, a place you can do a sit spot outside, you might consider putting a little bird feeder on your window, like one of those little suction cup bird feeders and get to know those birds and like make friends with them, you know, that come by every day. Like that's an amazing interspecies connection that you can do even in an urban environment. There's lots of birds in the city you know, and they're really cool, you know, and you can get to know them. I, we have one of our guides who went through our training. She sits out every morning and she now hand feeds the chickadees. They will fly up and land in her hand and eat out of her hand. And she knows them as individuals. <laughs> it's so cool. Um, so that's one little thing, you know, another is, uh, you know, if you can just get outside and walk outside every day, even, even if you're, you know, if you're in the city, you know, you can get outside the fresh air, right? The, that moving air that's outside. You can look up, you can see the sky. And then, you know, maybe you can find a tree or a small pocket park where you can go and give yourself 15 minutes to just kind of be mindful in that space. You know, so maybe you get to that little park and you just take a couple of deep breaths and you just put your phone on silent and you just walk mindfully through that space, like with no particular destination, you know, just like forest bathing, you just have a little mindful outdoor experience. Um, and every time you notice your mind is somewhere else, just coming back to your breath and just immerse yourself in that little park. Um, you know, they say now 120 minutes a week correlates outside correlates with really positive mental and physical health outcomes. So it's kind of like the new 10,000 steps. So if you can set that goal of, you know, two hours a week minimum, I'm going to get outside. Yeah. And those were some of the studies from the forest bathing in Japan, I believe. The, the two hours is from the UK, I believe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, that's right. two hours a week outside. But there, as, there's really cool stuff out of Japan on forest bathing, which is similar um, and kind of is about the uh, phytoncides, those essential oil compounds that the evergreen trees are producing um, that have all these amazing health Right. Right. And so there is, there's the data, you know, cause I think, you know, this is something I struggle with because these are things that we've known for millennia. Uh, this is part, again, as you said, part of the human experience, right. But yet our human minds need the data to show that it's true. And so there's the data for all the listeners. Plenty of data. Yeah. Plenty of data. Yeah. We'll link some of those studies in the show notes for you guys that are curious because it is really interesting work that yeah. people are doing to show the effects of nature of, of, you know, the chemicals coming from trees or just exposure to nature on mental wellness and all kinds of different factors and different things that they're measuring. It's, it's really fascinating work that's being done. So though, those are great ideas of how to create a nature habit, a daily nature habit. And I think that it's really important to think about it as, you know, not making it another to-do on your to-do list, 
And maybe also going back to this idea that, you know, you are nature. And so how can you connect back within, right? Because I think it's very easy sometimes, especially, you know, with the kinds of people that we work with and in the, in the fields that we are in, um, that people want an answer of like, how do I do this? And how do I, you know, add it to my daily schedule? And, you know, it, it just becomes another to do. And I always talk about the fact that I feel that it's so important for people to understand the why, because then it's not a to do. There's, there's a reason that you understand why it is so healing for you to engage in these practices, right? I agree. I think that's really important. The why is so important. Yeah. Right. Right. And that's, that's what I've hoped that we've really been doing by talking about sort of all of these different aspects of nature and the spirituality and the connection to self is really the why rather than having it just be a to-do list. But then of course there's the practicality of like, okay, where do I start if I'm not sure? Because it can become very intimidating of like, am I doing this the right way? Do I know what I'm doing? And it's, it's a little bit of understanding that it's innate and then having some guidance of where to start as well. So I have a, a, just a few more questions for you because I know we're almost at the end of our time. And really the, the main question that I have for you is if I offer up the phrase to catalyze healing, what comes up for you? you know, it's funny. What comes to mind for me is a fire. Fire has been a healing presence in my life. Uh, sitting around a fire, um, gazing at a candle, uh, the warmth, the light, um, the good feeling I have around a campfire. And I think each of us has that thing that awakens us. I would imagine part of, part of each person's like life walk is to, uh, to seek out what that catalyst is for them. And, and so for me, it's been, you know, what comes to mind is a fire. Um, I would imagine what comes to mind for somebody else might be dogs <laughs> or the ocean, right? And, and I think this is uh, important because each of us is, uh, our healing journey is going to be unique. Um, and uh, as part of it, like our hero's journey, you know, is, is, to, is to take that walkabout and to go on that journey, you know, of what catalyzes healing for us and to be open to what arises and, uh, and follow it. So that's what comes to mind for me when you say that. Micah, thank you so much for joining me today. It has been a pleasure talking to you. And I know we could, there are so many more questions I have, but we'll have to continue our discussion another time. I hope that you'll come back. I'd love to. Thank you so much, Avantis. Wonderful talking to you. Really enjoyed this conversation. Thanks again for listening to The Healing Catalyst. If you love what you heard, please hit follow and pass it along to a friend. And if you're feeling really inspired, please rate and review so that others can find this podcast more easily. To learn more, head to AvantiKumarSingh.com. And to connect with me directly, find me on Instagram at AvantiKumarSingh. I'll be back next week and hope that you will be too. Until then, remember, with the right catalyst, you have the power to activate your own healing because healing starts within.